And this morning we're looking at Philippians 4, uh, verses 21 to 23. And just a word of notation that, uh, Lord willing, next Lord's Day we'll begin a study of the book of James, since we're coming to the conclusion of Philippians. So, but this morning, uh, looking at verses 21 to 23 of Philippians 4, but I'm going to begin reading uh, chapter 4, verse 1, and just read the entire chapter. It's kind of a summary. So now to the reading of God's holy word. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, Whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned, and received, and heard, and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care But you lacked opportunity, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this, His holy word. <clears throat> o gracious God in heaven, we, we do praise you and thank you for the truth of your word that it is our only infallible rule for faith and life. And as we come to this passage, as this uh, portion of Scripture that is often might be uh, just overlooked and quickly passed by, 
Uh, but we pray, Lord, that your spirit would help us to see the rich fruit that it, truth that is here and that you would help us to be fed and encouraged by it through the power of your spirit. And as your spirit goes forth with your word, we pray that this would truly find that rich fertile soil within our hearts that we might bring glory to your holy name. We pray for your blessing upon these things in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, whether we meet someone on the street or, you know, make a phone call or even send an email, we often will begin and open the encounter with some kind of greeting, maybe hello or, or howdy. And, and then when we're done, we close with some sort of blessing, like maybe uh, take care or have a great day. These are simple, common courtesies. But, as with many good habits and manners, how often do these simple common courtesies become superficial formalities without any true meaning? How often are you, you pass someone by on the street and you, you say, Hi, how are you? And yet you don't even stop to listen to their response and their answer to your question. Of course, they probably don't stop either <laughs> and, uh, and just keep walking. Or when you're, you're writing a note and uh, you close with sincerely and then sign your name to it, are you truly writing with a heartfelt sincerity? Or is it just something you're doing as a formality? You see, courteous greetings and are certainly good and necessary, but if there's no sincerity, well then being polite really has very little meaning. Well, in our passage this morning, we come to the end of Paul's letter to the Philippians. And then the apostle is using a, kind of really a customary form of closing a letter that was a common in his day, it's far from, though, being an empty and shallow gesture. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle is, is diligent to use every word, not only for the benefit and blessing of his intended readers, but even for us here in the 21st century. In fact, Paul reaffirms some very significant truths in these greetings and blessings to the Philippians that are important for believers in every age to be mindful of. And so first, it's, we want to note that it's kind of interesting that Paul ends the letter in much the same way uh, in which he began. He began the letter, verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. And here in verse 21, he says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Paul is directing his letter and his greeting to those who are called saints. Now, who or what is a saint? Many people, when they hear the term saint, they often think of a, of a deceased person who, during their lifetime, had devoted themselves to the service of God in the church and often coming at a great sacrifice to themselves. And some are even reported to uh, have performed miracles and other extraordinary deeds. They're viewed as some, as some sort of super-Christian 
whose life and manner and, and deeds far surpass those of, common, of the common believer in Christ. But are these the kind of saints that Paul is referring to here? Well, certainly not. First of all, Paul isn't writing to those who are dead. He's writing to living, breathing people who are in the city of Philippi. And secondly, as Paul's letter reveals, they're far from being super Christians. They've had troubles and difficulties. They were susceptible to doubts and division and strife. They're just your everyday common variety believer in Christ. Even like those of us here today. And yet Paul calls them saints. The word saint simply means holy one. And it refers to a person who's been set apart, who's been called by God for a particular plan and purpose. And so we see that all God's people are saints or holy ones. It isn't some elite group of super Christians. And the plan and purpose God has called us to, to is to glorify and enjoy Him forever by striving to live holy lives. This is what the Apostle Peter uh, challenges in 1 Peter 1 when he says, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. So Peter is saying, look, you're, you're holy ones, you're, you're saints. And the one who's called you is holy. And so we need to live as though uh, true to that calling. Well, this is essentially what the apostle has called the Philippians to do as well, to live holy lives. Back in chapter 2, uh, verse 2, he says, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And he goes on to talk about that you should have the, the mind of Christ in you. This is how those who are holy are called to live. And to live out their lives in pursuit of holiness and, and Christ-likeness. But how is it? How is it the Philippians have become holy ones? Right? How does one become a saint? Well, there's really only one way. And it isn't by any decree of a pope or church council. No, the only way one becomes a saint and holy one before God is in Christ Jesus. As Paul asserts both in his greeting at the beginning of his letter and here in verse 21. They're saints in and through Christ Jesus alone. See, our natural sinful condition is that we're unholy. Right, that we're born in sin and we come forth from the womb speaking lies. But in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus who alone was perfect, pure, and holy, in Him we become holy and righteous because of what He accomplished for us when He suffered and died on the cross for our sins. Paul says in Colossians 1 verse 21, 22, 
And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. Paul is saying, look, you, this is how you were alienated from God and, and wicked in your thoughts and your minds and in your actions. And yet Christ has now through His death has reconciled you to the living God. And because of what He has done, He is now able to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in the sight of God. And so everyone, everyone who truly calls upon the name of the Lord in faith is a saint, a holy one in the sight of God because of what Jesus Christ has done. Now, beloved of God, this is true for you as well. And if you confessed Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're a saint. You're holy. You're set apart to God. Now, does this mean that you're perfectly pure and holy as Christ is? Well, no. At least not yet. Not while you still live in this life and still are dealing with the remnant of the sin nature that is in us. You still sin. You still struggle. You still do things that are unholy. And it's for this very reason, as we've considered before, it's for this very reason that God has given you the Holy Spirit to work in you, to enable you to put the old way of sin to death. And to make you more and more holy in and through Jesus Christ. So that one day you will stand in His glorious presence. Perfectly holy and blameless. Even as He is. This was God's plan from the beginning. As Paul relates in Ephesians 1, he says... Just as He, as God, chose us in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. God's eternal plan was to choose His people before the foundation of the world, to choose them in Christ, so that they would be made holy in and through Christ. Truly knowing we're saints in Christ Jesus, should be a great comfort to us, even as it would have been a great comfort for the Philippians who, like us, weren't perfect. They had their struggles. They had their trials. They had their conflicts and their tendencies toward worry and anxiety. And yet, in God's sight, in God's sight, they're holy because of what Jesus has done. And so this very simple greeting reminds us of this glorious truth that we are holy in Christ Jesus. But there's something else we should note about this word saint. And that is that it's a word that's never used in the New Testament to speak of one individual isolated from others. Even here in verse 21, though the singular form of the word saint is used, Paul precedes this with every. Every saint. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Now, every saint is going to include all the saints. 
that are there. And this again is how he initially addressed the letter to all the saints. A saint is one who's in union and communion with Christ, yes, but, but they're also in union and communion in Christ with one another. Right? A, a saint is never in isolation from Christ, and a saint is never in isolation from other saints. Now this is important for us to understand, especially in our day and age of individualism. People want to be out on their own, doing their own thing, even many who claim the name of Christ. And they they see no need to publicly profess their faith in Christ and unite uh, themselves with a body of believers in a local church. Many even spurn the church altogether, saying, well, look, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. But the New Testament knows of no such creature. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. If you're truly in Christ as a Holy One, then you're also to be in communion and fellowship with others who are in Christ. That is, with others who are in the church. This is why the New Testament speaks of the church as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ, as the people of God, as a holy nation, as a royal priesthood. These descriptions all depict a union and an intimate fellowship that exists among believers in Christ. See, Christ didn't come to save one individual person. He came to save a people, His people. His saints. And Paul demonstrates this intimate fellowship and communion here. Note first that he doesn't leave anyone out. Right? He wants to greet each and every saint. All of the saints together. Right? Even the feuding Iodia and, and Syntyche, and, and earlier that he addresses earlier in chapter 4, even these feuding women, he greets them. They're included. Because Paul has a great love and affection for each and every one of these beloved of God. Because each and every one of them is a saint in Christ Jesus, even as he is. And secondly, note how Paul sends greetings to the Philippians believers, not only from himself, but also from others. Right, verse 21, the brethren who are with me greet you. The brethren that Paul is referring to are his associates, likely uh, Timothy, perhaps Luke, and others who traveled around with Paul. And again, many of them may have met the Philippian believers during previous visits with Paul. And so they're also saints in Christ Jesus, and they share the same warm fellowship, care, and concern as Paul does. And so they send their greetings as well. But in verse 22, the circle of greeters is, is widened even further. All the saints greet you. Right? To every saint, all the saints greet you. That is all the believers that are there in Rome. And likely, they, maybe they've heard that Paul was, was writing this letter to the church in Philippi. And, and they too... They too wanted to share their affection with those who have a common bond and who share a common faith in Christ. And so it's saints greeting saints, and it's a beautiful thing. 
And what's even more remarkable here, of course, is that it's very unlikely that the saints in Rome personally knew the saints in Philippi. And yet, they wanted to send their greetings to demonstrate that though they are uh, in two very different places, they wanted to demonstrate their fellowship together in Christ. And so we have these Romans sending their greetings to these Greeks. Now this is important because it teaches us that the community of the body of Christ stretches far beyond these walls. And it includes all those who truly believe in Christ in other towns, in other regions, in other states, and even in other nations. And this is what, that, this is, what is often referred to as the universal church. And it reminds us that our relationship to Christ connects us automatically to all those who are saints in Him throughout the entire world. So that if you're traveling somewhere and you meet someone who's a Christian, well, because of your common bond and faith in Christ, you have an instant connection to them. They're your brother or sister in Christ regardless of their race, ethnicity, or nationality. You see, because earthly boundaries and, and differences are suddenly removed for those who are saints in Christ, for those who are in the church, part of the universal church. We're all part of the larger body of Christ. Well, this then should challenge us to be mindful of that fellowship. We should take an interest in what's going on with believers in other places throughout our state, throughout our nation, throughout the world. This is certainly much easier to do, of course, in our day and age with the technology we have than it was in, in Paul's day. But obviously we see here it didn't stop those in Paul's day. They still sought to be mindful of one another. And so we should be challenged even more so to not only greet these brothers and sisters, but to show our love and care for them and to pray for them wherever they are and for whatever their needs might be. We ought to do this because in Christ, we're united together with them. And so this simple customary greeting reminds us of this intimate fellowship with other saints in Jesus Christ. It shows us that we're holy and that we have this beautiful fellowship with other believers. But Paul ends his letter not just with sincere heartfelt greetings, but he also shares some blessings to encourage and build up the saints in Philippi. And the first blessing we see in verse 22. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. Now this is a greeting, of course, but it's also a great blessing. It's a great blessing because it tells the Philippians, and it tells us, just how far the gospel has advanced despite many hardships and much opposition. There are saints, holy ones, 
believers in Christ Jesus in Caesar's household. Now this doesn't necessarily mean that there were believers among Caesar's family members, but the term household would include slaves, servants, and others serving in some official capacity. Now Paul has already kind of given a hint of this when he mentioned back in chapter 1, that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And so this somewhat indicates that the gospel may possibly have reached some of these soldiers who were guarding him. And that certainly is, is understandable considering the close proximity that they would have had with the apostle. But guards in a prison are one thing, but, but Caesar's household, that was something short of miraculous. In just less than 30 years, this teaching which began with an obscure Jewish man from the faraway backwater town of Nazareth had grown tremendously. In fact, after the death of this man, many thought that his teaching and followers would just simply dissipate and disappear as many previous movements had. But this was different. It defied all odds and grew. Even surviving intense persecution by the Jews, it it spread from Jerusalem and was now reaching into the very household of the Roman emperor. Several hundred, or I don't know how far the distance is between Jerusalem and, and Rome, but it's a distance. You think not only the distance, but the depth to which the gospel is penetrating that the emperor in his own household has those who are believers in Christ. The gospel, the good news of what Jesus has accomplished for undeserving sinners by his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead on the third day has spread rapidly and is showing no signs of letting up. The gospel is advancing. And just as Jesus had promised, the gates of hell weren't able to prevail against his church. Despite intense persecution from Jewish rulers and civil authorities, despite opposition from false teachers and those who sought to discredit Paul and the other apostles, the gospel was reaching places that many might have thought were off limits, even impossible. Certainly, to hear that, would have been encouraging news to the Philippians. Even as it ought to be encouraging to us. And for even now. Even now we know that the gospel continues to march on in places that are even most hostile to it. Places like China, North Korea, and the Middle East. Areas that seem uh, as, uh, that appear as held tightly in, in uh, Satan's grip. And yet the gospel is present there. And oftentimes it's present working quietly in the hearts and lives of the people, but it's there. Working one person at a time. Growing and spreading. And this should challenge us to be faithful in our calling as the church to not only proclaim the gospel and share with those in our own community, but to support the spread of the gospel in other places as well. the gospel goes from 
Nazareth to the Roman Empire emperor in less than 30 years. Imagine what the gospel can do here through our witness in 5, 10, 15, 30 years. Now this mention of greetings from the saints in Caesar's household to the saints in Philippi would have also been especially encouraging to them, to the Philippians, because the Philippians, though they were Greek uh, ethnically, they were also citizens of the Roman Empire. And they were already, at this time, as we know, beginning to experience the cost of following Christ, even as Roman citizens. Their citizenship would be no protection for them. And so knowing that there were fellow Roman citizens who were concerned about them, who were thinking about them, who were praying for them, well, that would be a huge encouragement. And this encouragement would mean all the more. Because the Caesar that's being talked about here was the Emperor Nero. He was a vile and wicked man. And not far removed from the time Paul wrote this letter, Nero would set his evil sights on Christians and he would persecute them with great ferocity. And the Philippian believers, well, they already knew very well the risks and the challenges that these saints were now in the very household of Caesar that they're going to be facing. And yet again the gospel wouldn't be quenched. Despite the efforts of Nero and many others after him, the gospel continued to spread throughout the whole empire forever, impacting really the history of the world. And this certainly would be and continues again even today to be a great encouragement and a blessing to all the saints in Christ. To see that the gospel, how the gospel continues to march on to the glory of God. That's the, that's the first blessing. But there's another blessing that Paul pronounces here. And it comes in the form of a benediction. <clears throat> a farewell blessing to the saints. In verse 23 he says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Again, this kind of blessing is is rather customary. Even the word grace, Greek word that's used here, was often used in such non-Christian writings at the time as a, as a greeting, as a, as a kind of a final blessing in these kinds of written communication. But, the Apostle Paul uses it here, not just in a formal, uh, customary way, but he uses it here with the full force of the gospel behind it. It is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what is this grace that he speaks of? Well, first we know that it's a saving grace. 
demonstrated in the very heart of the gospel itself that the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, became flesh and He dwelt among us. And as Paul wrote back in chapter 2, verse 8, And being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That's the gospel. And this Jesus died for us. Even when we were undeserving sinners who were enemies of God. See, that's the grace. And yet by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, we're chosen, we're called, we're forgiven of our sin, we're justified, we're sanctified, and we're ultimately will be glorified saints in Him. And so the grace that he's talking about here and them seeking to impart to them is this saving grace. But second, there's a, it's a sustaining grace. Again, Paul spoke of this in, in chapter 4, verse 13, when he declared, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? Christ is the source of Paul's strength. The, the grace that is renewed each and every morning is what has strengthened Paul, helping him to endure any and every circumstance, whether it's good or bad, even enduring the hardship of being in prison. Such sustaining grace is also what's responsible for enabling us to meet the challenges that have been set before us. Enabling us to rejoice in the Lord always and to not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving, making our petitions known to God. It's the sustaining grace of Christ that's freely given to the saints that enables us to do even what seems impossible and far beyond our reach. And then finally, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is a transforming grace. Transforming us not only from the deadness of sin to life in Christ, but from unholy sinners to beloved holy saints in Christ Jesus. It's this transforming grace that was at work in the Apostle Paul as he boldly declared back in chapter 1, verse 21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, Paul was saying that his life was consumed with, with Christ and, and the grace of Christ so that the very life that he was living was actually Christ living in him. And the grace of Christ in him transforming his life It's transforming grace which enables us to daily die to self and the sins of the flesh and to put on Christ and to live for Him and in Him so that we might grow more and more in holiness and truth. This blessing of grace, a saving grace, a sustaining grace, a transforming grace, this blessing of grace is a true blessing indeed. And the Apostle here seeks to bless the Philippians with it. And now, the blessing is being brought to us. 
and it's being brought to all who would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in faith with this grace so that we might be saved, so that we might be sustained in the midst of trials, and so that we might be transformed in the perfect likeness of God's own beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved of God, may the Spirit of the living Christ even now Bless each and every one of you, each of you saints, with this grace, so that you now and forever would be saints and holy ones to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. O gracious God in heaven, we do praise you and thank you for your word and your encouragement to us this morning, reminding us of of just the blessings that you you have blessed us with, that, that we are saints, holy ones in Christ, if our faith is truly in Christ, and that your spirit is working in us, making us even more and more holy until we reach that point of perfection when Christ returns again at the end of the age, when we will stand in your glorious presence, and we shall be as he is, perfectly holy. And so we just praise you and thank you, Lord, that you would continue to work your spirit in us. We thank you also for this, the fellowship of the saints, that you have brought us not only into union and communion with Christ and with the triune God, but also with one another. And that we have this glorious fellowship to support one another, to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to build one another up, to share one another's burdens. Because we can't do it on our own. And Father, we praise you and thank you for the advance of the gospel. That the gospel has gone from, again, that little town in Nazareth that now has come to to Bryan, Texas. And there are many other places where it has gone and where it has yet to go. It's glorious when we think of it. That no matter what has happened, what opposition has been raised, the gates of hell have not prevailed against your church. And we praise you and thank you for that. And Father, we praise you and thank you for your outpouring of grace. Your grace that saves us through faith. Your grace that sustains us each and every day. Your grace that continues to transform us into those perfect images of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for this blessing upon each of us. To the glory and praise of your name. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.